0: How to share. It's your story. How to share. How to share. We'll show you how to share. How to share. How to share. This
1: is the How to Share podcast, where we help you find your story, write your story, and share that story with the world. With loads of experience marketing, hotels, restaurants, and influencers, your host Amy Dreheim will help you craft stories worth sharing. Stories that do more than sell a room or destination, they inspire. If you're ready to share better stories and improve your marketing strategy, you're in the right place. Here's your host, marketing expert, author, and travel blogger, Amy Draheim.
0: This is the How to Share Podcast, Episode 31. Last week, we met Jamila Ross, owner of the Copper Door B&B in Overtown, Miami, Jamila shared the ways in which the history of Overtown and the history of the Copper Door building itself have informed the guest experience on property. Jamila also shared how she and Aquino, her fiancé and co-owner, have pivoted during the pandemic to provide meals for the neighborhood in more ways than one. That meal service to support the community became a ventanita, a takeout window, And that takeout window grew into an open-air, warm and breezy patio with outdoor dining. And that patio, that's poised to grow into an even bigger space in the year ahead. Today, we'll dive deeper into this new restaurant venture, Rosie's, and Jamila will also share more of her own backstory, including where she gets that unmistakable drive to create, her advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, and the moments that have defined her career. Let's get started. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about Rosie's and the restaurant. So let's talk about that concept, your menus, the inspiration behind it. I would love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's fun. We created this concept originally, again, to be like a brick and mortar space. Right now we have an outdoor area and kind of like an outdoor kitchen that we're operating out of. We wanted to create something that really portrayed how we started this business, those in our lives that really lended to our success thus far. And Kino and I equally felt like that was our mother's. You know, those memories of just like being in the kitchen at someone's hip and that idea of how we show love toward one another. In a lot of families, and most families, it happens through food and There are times where there are different family members there in the kitchen representing that. And for us, it was both of our parents. So my mother's childhood nickname was Rosie. Her name is Rosa. So hence the name. It's Mm -hmm. very cute because a lot of our guests come in. And because I look like a 12-year-old, they're like, are you Rosie? (laughs) That's it's my mom, but... (laughs) You need a name tag. (laughs) Right. Maybe a driver's license, even to tell oh, my, yeah. uh, my <laughs> day of birth. Um, but so we just thought it was a super cute name. It obviously gave great homage to her, and we and we ran with it. Um, it was very special. So initially, the food menu was a combination of what could we create quick during a time where there's a great deal of uncertainty and anxiety and unknowing um you know again we opened april of this year so people initially thought this was going to be like a two-week thing okay a four-week thing and here we are so we wanted to create a menu that was feel good food again that's kind of like we show our love and show our passion through food so what's something that's people can wake up to and get excited about if anything so fried chicken. <laughs> you know, all, there we all go, we go to fried, to fried chicken. To fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the original menu, of course, had our chicken and waffles, along with our chicken and buttermilk biscuits. Kino's biscuits are outstanding. Every now and then I'll get one, and I'm still surprised about how freaking good these things are. Naturally, because we're a bed and breakfast, we wanted to make sure that our guests did receive that amenity in some type of way, even if it looked different. So we started to develop what the menu would look like. And then when we received this grant and we were able to invest in the outdoor area, we were able to expand our kitchen as well. And with that, we, you know, we had created this menu again, just based off of what was feasible for the time, along with like what people would feel good about and what would really fill a a gap of, you know, offerings. Bacchino's passion really is in Italian cuisine. He loves making pastas. It's very therapeutic for him. He loves making rich sauces. And that cuisine type, specifically Southern Italian, feels kind of like that feel good, like, you know, very similar in some ways to Southern cuisine in terms of those carbs and dairy and and, and all Mm -hmm. that stuff that makes you feel good. So we're slowly implementing some more Italian ingredients into the menu. He released a carbonara recently that was outstanding. Slices of pancetta along with olive oil uh, cured yolk that, you know, you can break. And, like, it's one of those brunchy items. Wow,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, our lemon ricotta pancakes are, like, on point. (laughs)
0: Love lemon ricotta pancakes. Wow. Oh, good.
1: So, yeah, we're combining this home-style feel-good food along with some refined ingredients. And Kino is such a master with plating. He can make anything look like you need to eat it now, you need to have it now. So thankfully (laughs) he does all of our food photos on social media because it keeps people coming.
0: That's amazing. So did his mom cook Italian?
1: No, that wasn't necessarily her cuisine of choice. I think that growing up, uh, just the family being very busy, that pasta was something that was easygoing and like, you know, something that everyone just would eat. I think that he developed insight on Italian cuisine, honestly working for Michael Schwartz. He's a very well-known chef here in the mm-hmm. South Florida area. And he really brought to the forefront the idea of local cuisine and Floridian cuisine and um, investing in local farmers and things like that. And his cuisine style is like a mix of Mediterranean and Floridian. Mm-hmm. So I believe that it was there at Michael's Genuine where Kino first was exposed to creating, I think creating anything from scratch, honestly. Like yeah. everything from homemade cream cheese to yogurt, to pasta things that restaurants could easily get away with and just purchase right at Michael's genuine they were making it by scratch and yeah. he yeah always like opened his eyes to a new way of doing things and that like I can make anything
0: <laughs> yeah that's great and you know what you're also making a good point about by running rosies you're also contributing to the farmers right so you have these local ingredients that you're using and then scratch made anything sign me up Right. I mean, yeah
1: for <laughs> sure great. Yeah, even to our coffee roaster, they're out of Fort Lauderdale. And we have been using them at the bed and breakfast from the very beginning. Now we offer their espresso and their cold brew, like we really love that relationship between different artisans making really great stuff. And as a small business, it's hard sometimes to build those relationships just due to like, you know, you want to make sure that you're paying, you know, the right price and that they're right. getting what they need to be successful. And it's so easy to just like go to a whole food purveyor and just get, you know, bags of coffee and brew it and call it a day. Right. Um, but we love taking pride and, in, in, you know, showing off the people in our neighborhood that are doing awesome things too.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think that's a winning model. And obviously, it's working. So right now, Rosie's is outdoor, but it sounds like you have some plans for the future when the time is right to be able to turn this into an indoor full service cafe. Exactly.
1: Right? Yeah, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that time. Right now, we all have to be patient and understandably so. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It will be a full service
0: uh, spot. Yeah. I mean, so at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about, you know, the limitations of the pandemic and the guest experience. But with everything you've told me since then, it's like you've really created a hands-on guest experience, even though hands-on might not be the right word. It's like contactless, but it's so full of heart and flavor and history and culture. And then you're bringing in these local partners like the coffee roaster so you've done so much during a time when other people might have to shut their doors and not really know how to reopen.
1: Right, right. No, it's true. And it's one of those things where as an entrepreneur, one of the things that we always look at, are, okay, what are our strengths and what are our weaknesses? And when you analyze it that way, and you're able to plug in where the weak areas are to make it stronger, it all comes together. Like, how can we Make this happen. And honestly, it, even to get to this point, it took a lot of research and understanding and talking with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something as well. Sometimes when it comes to competition, we have blinders on, but doing that outreach and like seeing how other people are doing things and being open to change, that's what's really been propelling us to keep going and figure it out.
0: Yeah. I love that figure it out mentality. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Great question. I think for me, it definitely stems from my mother. She grew up poor in the Bronx. And to see her now as one of the heads of a global company, I think that just like, as a younger person watching her and her being an awesome teacher in terms of teaching me, it was like, there's always a solution. There's nothing that can't be done. We just have to even be uncomfortable at times to
0: figure it out. Learning to be uncomfortable. That's a difficult one for a lot of people, you know, for a lot of us, what I'm realizing this crazy year and we're rounding the corner and it's almost over, but that discomfort is where learning can happen. That discomfort is where growth can happen. And you look at the copper door B and B you have done a lot this year, a lot. So what's next? What does the future hold for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it really does depend on a lot of different things. We're looking forward to getting married this year. So personally, that's something that we're certainly excited for. In terms of the business, we're starting to have conversations about expansion and what that can look like. So that's been very exciting as well. And yeah, hopefully Rosie's will have, you know, a bit more of a proper home.
0: Amazing, wow, that sounds great. So I want to ask you a couple more questions. For young people dreaming of building something like what you built, what advice would you give them?
1: Experience. Experience is, it's one of those, and especially, you know, this generation, they don't like that word. (laughs) And it's because anything is possible, right? And that's, and it's very true. And especially with the day and age of social media and the internet, it's a fact that truly anything is possible and it can be achieved within a short period of time. Although I find that in the service industry and in entrepreneurship, ideas are awesome. And when you are working for someone else, even if it's for an internship, even if it's for a shadow, being able to see how someone that's successful or someone that you look up to is doing things, you're able to adapt your style. So for example, my first high-end culinary job was at a restaurant on South La Cienega in Beverly Hills, top-notch, SLS Beverly Hills, the bazaar by Jose Andres, like Eva Longoria has her table. This is the (laughs) type of atmosphere that I was working in at 19. And it was able to expose and show me the upper echelon and like the top. Then I I worked for places that were in between that. Mm -hmm. And I've worked for places that were, you know, a little bit below that. And then I was able to cultivate this experience that I wanted to provide, knowing how to treat someone that maybe was, you know, would go to the SLS or someone that would go to this type of establishment. And I was able to kind of build up this Rolodex of service, of expertise, of communication, of guest service. Working in the Middle East, my gosh, we were opening up a sushi concept. So You know, in Arabic culture, sushi is not something that, you know, this type of demographic is used to. And in that particular space, I was in Kuwait for the majority of my time. Um, Yeah, I was working amongst 15 other nationalities any given shift. I was able to, again, understand communication skills, understand a more European way of doing things, which on a global scale is kind of the standard opposed to American. I was able to just gain so much experience that I feel like I can apply myself in any situation, almost any type of business. But more importantly, I'm able to create a strong business of my own. So wow. my, yep. yeah, my biggest advice is experience. In the field in particular is super important, but even in the atmosphere. And again, when it comes to service-based, you know, goal work for those that are doing what you wish you could do and more and mm-hmm. better and more refined, like um, understand what attention to detail truly looks like. And then you can play with it. Then you can have fun and then you can say like, I want to be casual, but like, I really loved how this spot did this, or I really felt like that touch was like Ritz Carlton level even though, you know, I'm a bed and breakfast, we're going to have this amenity that makes it special.
0: This answer just explains so much about what you've created. And it must feel so good to do it yourself, having had all of those experiences all over the world. I have to ask you about one of your favorite hospitality experiences that you've had.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) I love this. My best restaurant experience to this day and my favorite restaurant will always be the Bazaar by Jose Andres in Beverly Hills. It recently closed down this year. They shut their doors and that was a little difficult for me because I remember I have dined there, I think, three times now. Once, it was the day before my first day as an intern. And I didn't, I, I think I mentioned it to the server in the middle of our meal and the red carpet came out. Wow. The chef came out. Like, it was supposed to be like, you know, let's experience it. For, like, this is what you're going to be cooking. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and just to be there, my mind was blown. This place made you feel like J-Lo, Kim Card- Like, that's the energy that it was just like, you are somebody, you're going to be seen, and this is where you want to be. That's how it made everyone feel, even down to- let alone me the the cook intern
0: you know what yeah I mean? that's amazing that's, that they and treated it was, the intern that way
1: it's, it was an amazing energy yeah. for sure and that was one of my first experience understanding what true hospitality was that mm-hmm. it didn't matter that I was making ten dollars an hour or whatever like you're a part of
0: this family you're yeah. working here you're one of us like Ugh that's beautiful <laughs> it it's- really was Sometimes you don't expect a restaurant that's that fancy to do that with their employees. So what a great example it's set for you. Agreed.
1: So yeah, I think that's my favorite restaurant. It will always be... I'm trying to think about my f- favorite service experience. It, it would probably be that too. I'm trying to think, because I've been to so many hotels in yeah. general. The Viceroy in Abu Dhabi. That was like... <laughs> that was special Wow. <laughs> yeah
0: say no more that uh, was special. so you like the finer things <laughs>
1: I, clearly right yeah I, I especially during that time in my life I think mm-hmm. that that's what it is I had moved to the Middle East when I was 21 and I definitely had this like I'm on top of the like I'm freaking killing it right now I, I had that feeling and I I had so many friends and I worked really, really hard. And it really was that like work hard, play hard mentality. That's not me so much anymore.
0: But the you now really is killing it. And maybe more <laughs> humble, right? Like, more <laughs> literally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But more humble agreed. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask you one last question. So what is the legacy you hope to leave behind? Oh my gosh. You
1: know, so... Uh, Wanting to cook and watching these shows that I had spoke about before, there was no one that ever looked like. I had to go into every interview and I had to apply for every school, knowing that I was going to stand out and I had to be true to what I was going to do because it wasn't going to be easy. I knew this. And to be a woman in kitchens as well is like, all the dirty jokes. And I was young. It'd be like, close your ears, comments like that. And then being black on top of it. And it was still just like a very rare thing, especially in some of these higher end restaurants. There was one time that I had applied somewhere and one of my previous chefs who had one Iron Chef In I was, I grew up in Yonkers, New York. And in New York, the Food Network was on like a different level because like it's the home of, you know. Yeah. For- <laughs> So, you know, my chef at the time, Peter Kelly, he had one Iron Chef beat Bobby Flay. Like it was on the menu and I worked there every summer. During the school year, he advised that I apply to this one restaurant closer to where I went to high school. So I went in and Chef Peter Kelly had said, you know, he's he's looking for someone like, please go. And the chef gave me one look. I can tell. And it was just like, no, we're not hiring. But I knew it was because of a lot of these things. You know, if I, if I look like an 18 year old now, like imagine how I looked when I was 16 years old, along with just being a woman of color and a lot of people lend like our industry to being able to take the heat or not. And that's how I grew up. It was like, you don't cry, you suck it up. If you cut your finger off, there's a towel, there's no room for stopping. You Mm -hmm. just keep going and you really, really push. And it's starting to change now, but that had been kitchen culture for a very long time. And you definitely knew that the, you were going to get a joke or two, because is how it is. But to be that like young little Black girl, it would just be different. And the mm-hmm. energy sometimes would be different. And you didn't really know how to navigate it, but you just kept pushing. So my legacy... And the reason why I do a lot of what I do, because to be honest, I'm a natural introvert. Like It takes a lot for me to put myself out. I know you would never, never think that. But I'm an introvert that deals with anxiety and sometimes depression. And a lot of the reason why I wake up every day and I get on calls and I take photos and I do interviews with awesome people like you is for this reason, is to tell the story and hopes inspire other people. And so that maybe the more exposure there is, the less there will be young women like me that didn't raise their hand to say something, or even though sometimes things made them feel uncomfortable that they didn't shy away from how they feel or to just change it to say, you know, screw this job, screw this chef and, and to pursue their own and create spaces of inclusion for everyone, because they wouldn't want someone else to feel that way. I certainly don't want anyone else to feel some of the struggles that I have felt while coming up in my career path. So I do it for the greater good of just like our industry and of representation.
0: It really is for the greater good because it's heartbreaking to hear your story of going in front of that chef and getting you know one look and not even getting a chance to cook. And so what you're doing, and thank you for having this conversation, it is setting the stage for A different kind of industry, and it's an industry where little girls can grow up and do what you do because you're paving the way. So it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you, and I'm gonna gonna help share your story as much as I can so that. Thank
1: you so much. Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: it's really inspiring. I love the legacy. I love the space that you're holding that really hadn't been filled before. It was needed. Thank you so much.
1: We appreciate you giving platforms and, and reaching out, and
0: yeah, it means a lot to us too. So, Jamila, if people want to learn more about the Copper Door BNB, about Rosie's, about you and Kino, where should they go?
1: Yeah, so our social media handle is at Copper Door B&B. So that's B like boy and like Nancy, B like boy. Rosie's handle is Rosie's MIA. And the website is the same, copperdoorbnb.com. Our email address to connect with us directly about questions about booking is stay at
0: copperdoorbnb.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time for the stories and your insights. It's really it's been amazing. Thank
1: you. Yeah, You're so welcome. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it so much and hope to uh, connect with you again soon.
0: Yes, I will come find you when this whole, you know, <laughs> pandemic thing clears up. I'm gonna come find you.
1: Sounds good.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again, Amy. Bye.
0: I love the second half of my conversation with Jamila. My key takeaways were, number one, when you become a true community partner, the community returns the love. The community was the very reason Jamila and Aquino started putting meals together this past spring, and that effort became something bigger. From meal donations to a ventanita, to an open-air restaurant with the help of a $25,000 grant from Discover Card... This is proof positive that giving back checks out. Number two, for aspiring entrepreneurs, Jamila's biggest piece of advice is get experience. Jamila shared the hospitality experiences that have shaped the way she owns and manages her very own hotel and restaurant today. I love Jamila's advice to get out there, learn from the best, be open to all of the learning that comes from hands-on experience, and then use that knowledge to create something entirely new. Number three, on Jamila's legacy. Clearly, Jamila had role models in her parents growing up, but when she got into hospitality via restaurant kitchens and scanned the room, she realized the odds were stacked against her because she was a young woman and a person of color. She knew she'd have to work twice as hard, and as she described, there's been some great highs and also some low lows along the way. Maybe that's why, for me, interviewing Jamila from over 3,000 miles away, I can sense her passion and her love of what she's doing. When Jamila talks about her legacy, it's about future generations realizing their own potential and seeing someone that looks like them, owning a property, owning a restaurant, and feeling like their own dreams are possible, too. For the show notes and links from this episode, go to howtosharepodcast.com slash 31. As always, keep sharing your stories.
1: Thanks for listening to the How to Share podcast. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening.